This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The English digital online sales have changed the landscape of mixed Australian thoroughbred sales forever. Now, rather than wait for a mixed sale through the ring, owners, breeders and vendors can offer their product within a matter of days thanks to the twice-monthly English Digital Online Auctions. English now presents an online auction in the middle of each month and another at the end. Since going twice-monthly, the auction has averaged around 150 lots per sale and has exceeded a million dollars per sale with a clearance rate of almost 80%. To enter a horse or register a bid, visit englishdigital.com and follow the prompts or call 9399-7999. Back with Gordon Spinks, and we're going to talk about the Jim Crack Stakes of 1965, which was a very significant race for you. You won on a filly called Port Joy, which I think was Jack and Bob Ingham's first winner as owners in their own right. Was that okay? That the case? Uh I'm not sure whether it was their first winner. I, I, I'm sure they they had a couple of others uh, prior to that because I, I remember riding a couple of horses for them earlier in the piece. But um, I remember that because they were very significant buys from the from the English sales at Easter. Mm. Uh, and Port Joy was by Todman, and she was five thousand guineas, which was the highest price yearling filly at the sales. Mm. The other horse, the colt, was uh, there was a colt by Star Kingdom and he was 10,000 guineas and his name was King's Challenge. Mm. And I was riding for uh, Teddy Stanton at the time and when they had their official two-year-old trials, Port Joy won hers, although it wasn't Port Joy at the time. No. It was Tinder Joy, and they had to change the name because that was a brand of their chickens. A commercial name, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, they called her Port Joy, but she won her barrier trial at Ramwick, and the colt won his by six or eight lengths mm. and looked like being anything. Uh Race day come around and Port Joy led all the way in the gym crack mm. and in the breeder's plate the colt run third uh, and never even won a maiden, I don't think, the colt. Mm. Oh, he did later. Now, yeah, King's that, Challenge. I think he won some races later. Would have been would have been King's Delight you might be getting mixed up with. Yeah, I might be too. So you think he finished a maiden, do you, King's Challenge? He wasn't much good. If he won, he would have only won one of them. Yeah, at Bullamacanker. A bit erratic, a, typi- <laughs> a typical star kingdom, went through fences and God knows what else. Mm. Uh, but the filly, Port Joy, I think she only ever won one race also because when she won the gym crack, she went straight up to the top of the weights and everything else and that steadied mm. her up. It's a bad race to win actually. Mm. And. She didn't have much chance to win anything because she was a speedy little thing that could get along and she was well-trained and well-educated and she just led all the way. It was 1966 when Tommy Smith suddenly started throwing good rides at you. Now, one day at Rose Hill, he put you on Dark Briar in the Rose Hill Guinness and Victory Roll in the Rose Hill Cup. 
and they both won. What a hell of a day. Yeah, it was a good day. I, uh, I'll always remember it too because they both were, wore all pink colours. Mm. Dark Briar had pink uh, and so did Victory Roll. I think one of them was the club's colours because they forgot to take the colours to the races. But mm. um, Well, that was Dark Briar. Victory Roll's actual registered colours from memory were pink with a black cap. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, Dark Briar. I'd I'd ridden him. I'd ridden him a few times, and um, mm. he 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 was a funny horse. He he didn't like more, and more didn't like him. <laughs> so I always used to get the ride because I was a bit kinder to him than more. Mm. He, he didn't like being stood over, so I sort of jack up going to the barriers and God knows what else, and and I'd let him do it. And he he used to race all right for me, and and that day they both won. Uh, and I finished up going to uh, Queensland with Dark Briar and won the Derby on him up here. Mm. Uh, and then he got beat a short head in the in the Queensland Cup after that also. One of your most memorable wins for Tommy Smith was on a New Zealand mare called Unpainted in the 1968 Doncaster. Had you ridden her before the Doncaster? No, no, she'd only ever had one start in Australia and Mel Shoemaker, he, he ran fourth on her in a welter at Rose Hill uh, and then Doncaster time come around and, as usual, Tommy had half a dozen in the race and uh, and all the good jockeys were on all of those and mm. he, he didn't have a rider for the last one, which was unpainted and, of course, you know, when when he rang up Theo, well, I got the ride, and um, and I was just one of one of a number. That was all. I, I don't think they give it any chance. But mm. well, it was sixty six to one. You drew off the track. You went back to last. Did you give yourself any hope at all in the run? Not really. I sort of. I was only happy to get a ride because you know kids getting rides in big races like that. Although I was riding on jockey's terms because I'd long lost my allowance mm. a couple of years prior to that. Um, but she drew 24 out of 24 and she was 24th at the top of the rise and and she uh, – I, I don't know what the sectional times would be, but they must have been great because oh. she steamed home and yeah. and she uh, she got up and beat a horse called Cabochon who was pretty yep. smart also. Absolutely. I was standing – in the broadcast box alongside Ken Howard when that Doncaster was run. And I remember Ken nearly fell out of the box when you came down the outside. You literally jumped out of the ground and on the line she was storming away from him. Yeah, she won by a length and a quarter. Mm. And, you know, I've still got that record, the Mm. old record Mm. uh, that 2KY put out of that call. Mm. My sister's got it at her place. Goodness gracious me. The- a little 70 or well, a little 45 it is. That's right, yeah. With the race call of that with Ken Howard. Yep, yep. Ken got pretty excited as Unpainted flashed up on the outside. Now, Tommy backed her up two days later in the all-age stakes. Yeah, she, she well, she met almost the same field, although there weren't, weren't as many of them, but they were mostly the same horses and... Uh, and she just did the same with them again. And now, that was the last I ever rode her. She, she, uh, she was to go to Brisbane for the Stradbroke 
and uh, she hurt herself on the float going up. I wasn't to ride her, but mm. she uh, she didn't get to race there. And then she went back to New Zealand and went to stud. Mm. And she finished up throwing a pretty good horse called Plush, who finished up and he was a Melbourne horse. He finished up a pretty good stallion himself. He certainly did, and a, and a good racehorse too. I think he won uh, some group races before going to stud, and as you said, he got a lot of winners. Now, mm. Tommy Smith also provided your very first Group 1 winner as a fully-fledged jockey. The horse was Vita Zane in the 1968 Metropolitan. Yeah, exactly one week I come out of my time. Mm. Uh, and I'd, I'd ridden Vita Zane a few times. I'd won a couple of races on him and uh, and I rode him in the Metropolitan. And he was my first, first Group 1, well, he was my first winner out of my time which mm. happened to be a group one. So uh, he was a handy horse. He was no, he, he was no uh, champion, but he, he was a real typical stayer. He's by Lee for Lou, who's that, those days, everything that stayed was by Lee for Lou, and that's how come he got his name. He sort of, he, he was out of a mare called Tatar, and Vita Zane meaning that in German. That's how right. he come to get his name. But he was a handy horse. I finished up riding him in the Caulfield Cup one year, and, uh, he was never that good that he could do anything in a race like that, but he, he still went around. Another high-profile win for you and TJ Smith was a top-class sprinter called Black Onyx in the 1970 Doombin 10,000. In fact, the horse had won the 10,000 the year before. And what do you think ran second to you? Poor old Cabochon again. Cabochon again. He was sick of looking at, at horses yeah. that you were on. He didn't like me at all, and even <laughs> like the the Tates, some people called Tates owned mm. Cabochon and Beetle Geese and a few of those others, and 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 Baguette and mm. uh, some pretty fair horses. And in the finish, they put me on Baguette. His last four starts because they were sick of me beating him, <laughs> so they put me on Baguette, who was at the tail end of his career anyway. But yeah. getting back to Black Onyx, he. Uh, I'd ridden him, well, never Voight, never Voight rode him a few times and mm. anyway, I rode him in the Doombin 10,000 and he got up and, as you say, beat Cabochon and, mm. and then he came back to Sydney. Well, I rode him in the Doombin Cup actually after that and he, he didn't quite stay the distance and uh, mm. when he came back to Sydney, I rode him a couple more times and actually rode him in his last start in Sydney in the Hill Stakes and he bled for the second time and... Uh, he couldn't ever race here again, so they shipped him off to America, mm. and uh, he, he won a few over there. And then, then as far as I know, he, he died. So, mm. but it made him his last start in Australia, and uh, he was he was a, a pretty good horse. And I actually thought he would win the Doom and Ten Thousand because uh, mm. on the Thursday morning I, I was I rode him work and um, and. There was a, a fellow up here at the time called Keith Noward who was the race caller and mm. he, he was a typical little old Queenslander and he and, and because jockeys weren't allowed to even give an opinion back those days, he he, he come running in after me after track work and he said, uh, and and what do you think, how will, how will he go? Mm. And because I couldn't tip it, I said, well, whatever beats him will win. And, yeah, oh, that's a good one, that's a good one. That's what we're <laughs> anyway... He, he, he managed. He managed to beat Cabochon only just as he late rode Cabochon, and he thought he'd won. Yeah, uh, but uh, it was very close. But no, he was a good little horse, and he'd won 
that's the, that was his second time. Moore rode him the first time. Yeah. When he, yeah, Moore always liked him. Moore rode him in the 1968 Golden Slipper. So he did it from two right through to uh, his uh, double bleed, so to speak, before he went to the United States. But he was a tallish, gangly sort of a horse. He used to race with a breastplate too, Gordon. He didn't look robust at all, did he? No, all Tommy Smith said breastplates. You, if yeah. you didn't send one out, he'd put one on anyway. <laughs> he, you know, he had a bag full of them out in the stalls and um, you had to have a breastplate on everything you possibly rode for Smith mm. because he wasn't going to uh, – apparently somewhere along the line, saddle slip, which cost him the race a couple of times, so he was never going to take that chance again. Mm. And you always had to have an all-elastic girth and a breastplate. Mm. If you didn't provide them, he'd provide them for you outside. Mm, compulsory gear. Yep. Now, is it true that Tommy Smith asked you several times to move to Randwick to become one of his stable jockeys? Well, he he, he didn't ask me several times. It was a sort of a well-known fact that when I come out of my apprenticeship, I would go there because mm. uh, I rode a lot of winners for him and I rode a lot for him. and. Uh, and that was getting towards the end of Moore's tether and, um, and you know, it was just a, a, a common knowledge that I was going to go to Tommy Smith's. But then Stan Fox came into the fray and he was the, the biggest up-and-coming owner at the time apart from Foisters. Remember the Foisters? Mm. They, they were pretty big at the time. and Stan Fox was going to be bigger than them. Mm. And, uh, and Tommy Kennedy used to train for him at, Rose Hill, which was only across the road from our stables, and um, mm. I didn't really like. I didn't want to go to Ram. It was too complicated for me. Mm. Uh, most of the top riders and trainers were at Ramwick, and most of the top apprentices were until Rose Hill took over the mantle. We we changed that us kids, mm. and they all finished up at Rose Hill. But I stayed at Rose Hill with Fox, uh, and Mully was stable rider for him yeah uh, and i was in well it was retained by fox yeah. yep stan um, fox puts you on retainer as the official number two jockey jack denham yeah. was training for him by then though wasn't he yeah yeah tommy kennedy sold the place and the only one that could afford to buy it was fox and i think that was the main reason he started to train for him anyway so he could sell it mm. uh and denham moved from canterbury to rose hill he then took over the training and I was already retained by them then. Mm. Um, that was the last six months of my apprenticeship. I was still apprenticed to Theo and I'd still do my own work at home, yep. but then I'd go over the road and ride track work for them. And mm. and then when Mully retired, well, then I took over the stable jockey position then. Yep. Now, I'm glad you mentioned Athel George Mully. He was an idol to young Gordon Spinks? He was right until the last day of his life. I, I always I always loved the way he rode. He didn't look he didn't look much good on him. Mm. Um, he held his balance in the right and correct places, but he, he he sat up there like a little question mark and he didn't he mm. didn't look crash hot on him at all, but by God he was a good rider and mm. And he could get he could get out of a horse what would take other jockeys 
a, a, a flogging to get out of. Mm. He'd sit there and they, they, they just ran for him and, and he was such a brilliant little rider and I thought, well, I'm going to, I've got to, I've got to sort of model myself on somebody. So mm. he looked like being the person and I liked his patience and that finished up. I had the patience of Job myself in the finish because of that. Mm. Uh, Ronnie Quinton, he styled himself on more. And I style myself on Mully, and I don't think there was an inch between the two jockeys in a finish. Mm. And Moore would be hard at it, and Mully would sit there like a little question mark and do nothing, and he'd still get the most out of him. Mm. It, it was common knowledge at the time, Gordon, that Mully was the one jockey that Moore deeply respected. Well, I wouldn't doubt that. Uh, Moore didn't respect too many people apart from himself. I liked him. I loved his. I loved the way he rode. Uh, he didn't do me a lot of favours throughout races, but he didn't do too many others favours either. No, you know he'd get square on you if he could. Uh, and I remember at Canterbury one day, I jumped out of the barry and and my horse went straight across in front of him and knocked him down, and he fell with along with two or three others. I was riding a horse called Port Fair for Derby Munro. Mm. And uh, I drew the outside in the six furlong race at Canterbury and crossed over a bit sharp and three or four of them fell. Well, he came in and he grabbed Theo and he tore strips off him. He said, I'll kill that kid. <laughs> he said, if ever he does that again, because he had a good ride later in the day, yeah. oh, he was going to kill me. I'll never forget the day, I can tell you. I remember Port Fair too uh, for Derby Munro, very good sprinter, won a stack of races on Metropolitan Tracks. Yeah, I only ever rode him once and... Uh, Knocked more down. Ever, <laughs> yeah, I only ever met Derby once and he was in a wheelchair then. Oh, yeah. And I remember sign, he signed a cheque for me as a sling and it, it was a cross. He didn't even know how to sign his own name. Oh, gee, he was pretty sick towards the end. He was a hell of a good rider from all accounts. I never yeah. ever saw him ride, uh, but I, I did ride a winner for him as a, when he was a trainer, so that was something. Something to dine out on. Mm. It was 1967 when you decided on a sea change. You made a quick little trip to England to ride for a trainer called Sam Armstrong, who was then the father-in-law of the legendary Lester Piggott. But it didn't go as well as you'd hoped. No, I I, uh, I was told that it was in the pipeline. Edgar Britt, the ex-jockey, put it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess he had a lot of uh, contacts in England because he'd ridden there for a long time and um, he instigated it all. And uh, I was quite happy to go because I thought, well, if, if you go to those places, well, you must be a pretty good rider to be invited. And I, and I was the first one ever to go over on loan. I was still an apprentice, and mm. they weren't sure whether to allow me to ride as a fully-fledged jockey or as an apprentice, because I had no allowance. And uh, as it turned out, uh, they, they let me ride as an apprentice over there, and which meant then I had to do stable chores and do everything that an apprentice does. So... It was pretty tough going. It was run a bit like the army. Mm. Did you have much to do with Lester in that period? Had a lot. Had a lot to do with him, actually. He he used to find it very hard with his weight, and so he, he, he'd run a lot 
jogging because I did that same thing in in Sydney back home. I mm. I used to run a lot with jackets on and raincoats and everything to keep mm. weight down. And and when he found out that I did that, well, I'd go along with him. His wife Susan used to take us out six or seven miles and drop us off in the car, and then we'd run home over ploughed paddocks and through fields and God knows what else. And at the end of it, he'd go his way and I'd go mine and he'd go home and rest, I'd go back to work. The Illawarra Turf Club turned on a day to remember at Kembla Grange on November the 23rd to bring down the curtain on a remarkable Everest carnival. Mr Seawolf's win in the feature gave jockey James MacDonald a unique double. The hunter and the gong in the inaugural year of the two new races. There'll be a few more highlights before year's end. Thursday, December 12th, we'll see the running of the Wyong Magic Millions two-year-old classic and the Magic Millions three- and four-year-old stakes. To Randwick on Saturday the 14th of December for the running of the time-honoured Group 2 Villiers and the half-million-dollar English Nursery with the Group 3 Summer Cup scheduled for Boxing Day. Keep an eye out for one of the popular night meetings at Canterbury Park, a perfect venue for a Christmas party. The show rolls on in New South Wales racing as an unforgettable 2019 comes to a close. Now, Gordon, you met Dermot Weld in Sydney on one occasion and he made a quiet little proposal to you. Yeah, well, that was the time when I did leave Denham and went down to Smith and I thought, well, he did want me to do all his riding at one stage, so he may well want me to do it now. Mm. And so I went down there and presented myself and Kevin Langby, who was a very good friend of mine, uh, he was entrenched there then and he was Dick Smith's very, very Dick and Ernie Smith, Tommy's brothers, they, they thought the world of Kevin, so there was never going to be a chance of me getting in there. Mm. But I still rode for them, and um, at the time, Dermot Weld was over from Ireland on a working holiday at Smith's Place, and he was also studying to be a vet. And he was also a good rider himself. He used to ride in steeplechases and jump races and things. Mm. And... Uh, I think to get me out of the way, because I was going to be a bit of a thorn there after they'd more or less asked me to ride for them, I said, well, here's a chance of getting me out of the way for a little while and said that uh, Dermot was out looking for a stable jockey to take back with him and uh, and they put me in for the job, mm. which I took. So that's how I come to get there. Your final international adventure was an unlikely place. Tehran, the capital of Iran, where horse racing was introduced in 1978. Colin Hayes played a major role in getting expatriate Aussie horses over there to race. Seven Australian trainers were contracted and you were one of a group of Aussie jockeys who decided to give it a go. They spared no expense in building the track, you tell me. No, we, Colin Hayes was the instigator of all of it. He uh, he got the track built, he did everything, and he was the only one that was able to export the horses to there. Mm. Um, he a very good man, Colin Hayes. He, he was a, a really, really nice fellow, and 
I remember him bringing over David when he was only a little fat, chubby kid. Mm. And uh, he's finished up going on and being something himself. But when we were over there, there were only Australian horses there. In the finish, the second wave were New Zealand horses because they'd run out of getting the, the ordinary ones from here. Uh, and they were paying nothing for them and selling them for plenty. And people were buying six and eight at a time over there for twenty and twenty five thousand each, which they were paying twelve hundred from here. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty good oh well they were all they were okay because they were all of the same class. None of none of them were better than any of the others. So uh, it was a level playing field, but it, it, it finished up it would have been okay had it continued, but that that year the Shah got thrown out of the country and so did everybody else. Exactly. The Shah of Iran was overthrown in that revolution of 1979 and that was the end of racing and Gordon Spinks came back to Australia. Gordon, there were many other things I wanted to touch on but we're out of time. I'd, I just want to uh, terminate our interview on this note. I told Ronnie Quinton I was going to record this interview and I asked him to give me a little quote about your talents as a jockey. Now, at the risk of embarrassing you, I'm going to pass on R. Quinton's opinion of S. Spinks the jockey. He said you were a champion apprentice and that you and he were great mates as apprentices. He added that you rode many major winners as a kid and that you were a very skilled rider. They are the exact words of your old stable mate, Ronnie Quinton. Well, I didn't think Ronnie would uh, would say something like that, but I appreciate that he did, and it's in appreciation probably because of all the things I taught him. You can pass that on to him. But I appreciate what he said, and he wouldn't say that we were close friends because we haven't seen each other for years, but we're still great associates and we would end up being friends again if we ever passed each other's past. So, uh, no, great rider. I appreciate everything he's gone on and done and he's worthy of everything he's gone on and done. And in my book, if he wasn't put into the Hall of Fame, I would have put him in there myself because, <laughs> I, you know, he, he's, he was just a – he was always going to be something, Ronnie, because he just – he worshipped racing and he still does by the sound of it, and good on him. Gordon, we wish you well for your upcoming heart surgery. You won't know yourself when it's all over. Well, I mightn't want to know myself, but uh, I'm hopeful that everything will go okay. But uh, I'd just like to add before we finish that uh, I have two very dear friends that live opposite me who, without them, I would be at wit's end. Mm-hmm. Uh, their name is Catherine and Adam Gleeson. And of all the people that I've met throughout my life, I think they would be two of the best. Mm-hmm. And they've done nothing but good for me since I've been here. I've only been here for about 12 months. And all they do is help. And I'd just like to thank them very much publicly. And, uh, and I hope we remain friends for a, a lot longer than we have. Gordon and I also speaks. thank you 
for this interview. Ah, it's a pleasure, Gordon. You rode in a golden era of Australian jockeys and you were right up there with the best of them. Thanks for the memories, mate. Okay, thank you for the interview, John. And this podcast was brought to you by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress.